Uh, our scripture reading from today's teaching will be from Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 through 11. Uh, so would you please stand with me as we read the word of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for the word you're about to bring this morning through Brother uh, Stuart. Uh, we just thank you uh, for his willingness to serve and uh, for the faith you've given him. Uh, we thank you that you are a kind and gracious and merciful God, uh, and we just pray that your Holy Spirit would move powerfully, that it would speak powerfully through him, um, and that the gospel would be heard and uh, soften hard hearts here this morning. So we pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. My name is Matt. I'm the pastor here at Restoration City Church. We're very happy and thankful and privileged to have you here with us. Uh, today is a very special occasion uh, for our church uh, and for many of you who are joining us. Uh, Stuart McGinnis, one of our elder candidates, is going to preach his very first sermon. You guys are here for the birth of a brand new preacher. It's way more special than that. Some, like, some dude should be taking his shirt off and running down the aisles. Um, <laughs> I, I have a very sincere conviction that uh, the preaching of God's word uh, from uh, faithful pastors and leaders um, is a supernatural act. Uh, the world would call what Stuart's about to do and what potentially for those of you who have other churches, what your pastors are doing every Sunday, the world would consider that foolishness. Why would we come and sit for an hour on our day off on a Sunday morning and hear a person speak to us, in my case, for an hour and a half, in Stuart's case, for 33 minutes? <laughs> Why would we do that? That's not a good use of our time. The world calls that foolishness. The Lord calls that wisdom. The word of God is life, um, and he brings his gospel to us. Uh, Stuart is one of our two elder candidates, uh, Christian Wall being the other one. Stu uh, Christian has preached several powerful and, and very useful, profitable sermons for us. We're thankful for him in that. And today will be Stuart's very first opportunity to preach God's word. Um, so I'm going to pray for him. Uh, would you pray with me? And my request is that you don't be an audience of my prayer, but that you would pray alongside of me and bring Stuart before the Lord uh, and ask God to do what God loves to do, which is to bring his word in power and in truth, to bring new salvation and to bring renewed salvation for his glory and the joy of the nations. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness and the good character, the committed devotion that Stuart has for you, Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the deep love and sincere um, abiding that he demonstrates in reading your word and walking in your word. 
the joy that he takes in prayer, the joy that he takes in uh, extending hospitality and fellowship and service to others in your name. We ask now, Lord, that you would bring supernatural power to your humble vessel, uh, your son, Father in heaven, Stuart. We thank, we thank you for uh, who you are, what you've done, and what you will bring today. And we trust in your name, Jesus, from your word. Amen. Everybody. Thank you. Is this on? I do it right? Somebody respond? All right. Sounds good. Well, I'm welcome to Restoration City Church. My name is Stuart McGinnis. Like I said, this is my first sermon here. Um, it's a privilege and an honor. I mean, so many people have come from so far. It's overwhelming the encouragement you guys have given me. So, But I'm encouraged other places, too. Um, I'm encouraged from the Bible. Um, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, he put in here a description of what people said he was like. So I'll read it. It says, For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. Now, that's the guy that wrote most of the New Testament. That's the greatest missionary the Christian church has ever seen, and that's how he's described. So that gives me a lot of hope. Hopefully my speech today is not contemptible to you guys. And uh, also, Paul is the first pastor to literally kill someone by preaching. You guys know that? That's your Bible trivia. If you can't, It's in Acts. I'll give you that hint, so go look it up. But it shows that God can use anybody. God used a donkey in the Old Testament to talk about his truth, and hopefully God will use me. Not a donkey to talk to you. Uh, you know, you guys represent a large part of my Christian faith, whether it's my parents that changed my diapers or friends, my brother. Um, so it's just encouraging because we're a committed group of people. We're the church, and we're supposed to encourage each other to do good works. And that's what you guys are doing for me today. You're, you're encouraging me to do good things, and hopefully I'll encourage you to do good things. And one thing we need to do is set our minds on the things that are above. So I know we've prayed a lot, but God's worthy to be prayed to. So let's pray one more time. Lord, Dad, I thank you for today. Thank you uh, for your preach word. I think you're a God that speaks to people, through people. And uh, Lord, when John the Baptist was going to be born, you came to him and his father didn't believe, and, and you, you made him mute, and all that was for your glory, Lord. And I, and I pray that if that's what you want to do to me today, that you will make me mute so I can glorify you more with my muteness than I can with my words. Thank you, Lord. I pray you'll just, Holy Spirit will sift our hearts and, and give us the word that you intend for us to have in your name. Amen. So I'll go ahead and get my main point of my sermon out of the way. The gospel brings you into your true reality, sustained by Christ and his people. The gospel brings you into true reality, sustained by Christ and his people. So we'll go back and we'll talk about why the letter of Colossians is written. So this was written by Paul while he was likely in a Roman uh, prison, and it was written to a church that he had never been to. So Epaphras, the pastor of that church, comes to Paul and tells him about the church, what's going on. And, and Paul is writing a letter of counsel. He's writing a letter of correction to the church. Um, and he's wanting to remind them of who they are and who God made them. And it's, it, it kind of culminates, so it's building in chapter 1 and 2. And chapter 3 is, is be the beginning of the climax of the letter. So in this section of Colossians 3, Paul has a strong shift. He's wanting to show the people of Colossians the reality of where they are. He's wanting to kind of peel back that curtain so they can see 
the truest truth that there is. Because it's not new information that most of us need. I mean, we have the Bible. Most of us have read most or all of it. So we have these words in our minds. And it's not words that change people. It's revelation that changes people. You know, we go to the doctor. He's going to tell you the same thing he told you last time you are there. Eat better. Exercise more. Do the things I've already told you to do. But when the doctor comes in and says, you have diabetes or you're dying of this, that, that then has the ability to, to show you the truth of where you are right now and what you need to change. And that's what Paul is trying to do for the church in Colossians. He's trying to give them a revelation so they have a new perspective. They, have a, they can see the world and their impact and what they do differently. So he's Because that thinking leads to different action. And when people see the revelation and the truth of God, it changes them. It's the most natural thing that happens. You know, there's a killer that can become the ambassador. And that was Paul, Saul, Paul, the guy that's writing this letter. A killer become a leader. Moses, I mean, he leads a new people, you know. Uh, or there's a liar that's willing to die for the truth. Peter, he's, he's the major priest or the pastor in uh, Jerusalem for the new faith. So it takes time to change, though. It's not something that just happens. It's not a mind meld. You know, we, we, have to, we have to work at it. We have to be in it. We have to marinate in it. So the first point, uh, tense matters when we read Scripture. Read intentionally as it may change your life. The tense of Scripture matters. Read intentionally as it may change your life. So Colossians 3, 1 and 2, we'll read that again. If then, so that's a, a conditional statement, there's something that's happened. If then, and we're in other versions, it says since. So this is previous. You have been raised past tense, with Christ, seek, present tense, things that are above where Christ is, present tense, seated, past tense, at the right hand of God, set, present tense, your mind on things that are above, not on things that are earthly. That the words raised and seated, they're past tense for a reason. They're not just happenstance. God doesn't make mistakes when he's writing the Bible through a person like Paul. That is the true reality of where you and I are as Christians we put our, our faith in God, that's where you are. You're, you're living in a different space than what it looks like. Your, your fundamental identity is found in Christ. It's not found in your job, your relationships, your kids, uh, your bank account. Wherever people get their identities, your political party, that's not, that's not the most true thing of you. The most true thing of you is you are literally seated at the right hand of God with Jesus. It says in Ephesians 2.6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Um, the position of the right hand is important. Like We don't really use that term very often, but right hand is a seat of influence. It's, it's a place where you have the ability to make change. You're, you're, you're important. This is the most important person in my life is at my right hand. Romans 8.34 says that Christ is seated at the right hand making intercessions for you and me. The, the God-man came down, died, crucified. Now he's, he's asking the, the Godhead, the other part of the Trinity, for things for you because he knows what you need more than we do. So that's, that's what Christ is doing for us in a physical manner. Zephaniah, which I don't know how many pastors preach on Zephaniah, but 317 says we have a God that sings over us. And I don't know if we see that often. We feel that as Christians, that God is happy 
He is pleased with you. Paul is wanting us to see the extreme change that happens in a Christian's life. You and I need to accept and believe Paul's teaching here. Christians are fully and totally accepted and approved. Accepted and approved by God right now. It's not the better you that you will be one day after you exercise more or study the Bible more or or be more uh, in the Word or disciplined. It's right now. That's that's the God that, that you have as he is pleased with you. Not because of you, but because of Christ's work on your behalf. You can't be more holy than Jesus. So in some respects, we're, we're separated into two worlds. There's a visible world and an invisible world. There's a world of life and a world of death. Or say it differently, there's a, a world that wants to kill, still, and destroy. And there's another life that's the wellspring of life. That's the, the river of life, as it's called. But Paul, he uses past tense to show where we were. Then he uses present tense to show, show what we should do. So he uses the word seek. Seek is kind of your desire. It's your... Uh, searching, your hunting, your mind, your thoughts, your pondering, the exercise of your mind and your will, that's, that's something you're doing, something you're going after. It's your target. And set, that's, that takes effort. You know, it's, it's a refocusing, and, you, and you're, putting, you're setting your mind on things that are above. So it's, it's not this miraculous mind meld when we ever become a Christian. It's this, it's this process that we go through. It's this, what the church word is called sanctification. It's the steadily growing into becoming more like Christ. And it's not something you can do on your own. But you want to think, feel, and act more like Jesus. And what you seek and set on your mind becomes into your real life action. So Paul's goal, we talked about a little bit earlier, is, is combating false teachings in Colossians, the church that's going on there. He's, he loves this church. He doesn't know this church, but he has a love and a passion for this church. And He's telling them this, what they need to do to, to separate themselves from this false teaching so they can stay with the gospel. So they're supposed to seek and to set, and that's going to take action. That's going to take something from you. That's, that's your part of this equation. So let me give you a little bit of an exercise. Just stick with me. Um, if you're going to set a table, I don't know who does that anymore, but let's say you're throwing a fancy party and you're going to have people come over. Hey, we got one in the back that does it. Well, good job. Um, but you have to know what to do, what should be there. You, know, you have to know how many people are coming. You have to know, you know what kind of food you're going to serve, what type of drinks you're going to serve. You know, if, if you're ha- going to have a pasta dinner and you put out steak knives, I mean, what's somebody going to do with that? If you have too many glasses out or too many forks, I mean, everybody gets confused. And that's what God's telling you here is you have to, set, you have to know what should and shouldn't be in your life and your mind. And that's what Paul wants to say also in Romans 12, 1 through 2. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What's God's mercy? What Christ has done for us, his seating and his setting us. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. Here's the key. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do you do that? You set and you seek. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. And as Christians, I think we're all looking for that mysterious light, right? That's that shine of what God's will is. And he's helping us to walk in that and to go towards that direction. And I think as Christians, if we really knew what God's will was for our life, most of us would be too scared. 
Because God's going to take us much further than we can think we can go, right? Because if, if we only go to where we think we can go, we don't need God. You know, Christians, we need a God that's going to take us beyond what we think. We have to rely on him to do that action. Sorry, that's beside the point. So I got a lot of things in my head. I don't know where they're going to land, so just bear with me. Um, but heavenly things, you know, that, those aren't like angels. Those aren't like buildings. Those aren't, it's not like the grandiose. It's not what he's setting to set our minds on and to be renewed in. He's telling us to be renewed in the things that are of God. Truth, love, holiness, righteousness. Those things in Philippians 4, those praiseworthy things. And then earthly things aren't this piece of wood, this stage, the physical representations of our bodies. That's not what we're supposed to put our minds on. That's not what he's telling us to stop thinking on. He's telling us to stop thinking about those sinful things, those things that we think will give us pleasure besides God. So how much do we consider what goes on and into our mind and our hearts? You know, do we really take time and think about that, or do we just go through our life? Because Paul's telling you you have to be intentional about it. What do you think about when you can think about anything you want? Let's just say there's a Saturday, it's raining outside, nobody's at home but you. What do you think about? Do you think about planning your next vacation, the next shiny object, the next car that you're going to buy? Or do you think about the things of God? Do you get so overwhelmed to some of the writers in the, in the Bible that you just have to praise God? You have, to talk, you have to tell how good he is? Even if you can't tell anybody else, telling yourself. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above, above, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do, you do. So this is an action, flows from it. And your heart isn't an emotional center. It's not, it is that, but it's not only that. It's, it's your deepest thoughts. It's where, like, when the angels came to Mary, she said she pondered these things in her heart that she was going to have the Messiah. That's, that's the center of, of our being is our heart. And that's what we have to guard. So what, in your past tense, is robbing you from your present tense? What is taking you from that place that you were to the place God is taking you, a life? Or put it differently, what sins in your past still rule over you, how you think, you feel, and act today? What shame and guilt is killing your present and most true life in Christ? Because as Christians, we constantly need God's truth. We constantly need community the church to remind each other of the new life that we now have in Christ. So that leads me to point number two. Reality is different than it appears. So Colossians 3, 3 through 6. For you have died. Paul's pretty plain there. He's going hard in the paint, as Matt would say. You're dead. And your life is hidden or concealed. Uh, another version is synced. So now your life is now synced and hidden and concealed with Christ. That, that, is, that can't be separated. The, the, the two are, are bound for eternity. So Christ's destiny and your destiny are tied. And not only that, is it's protected in God. So you have Christ in God. That is your reality. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And Paul kind of shifts. So there's, there's verses 1 through 4, and there's 5 
through the 11 that we're going to talk about today. But if you don't see verses 1 through 4, if you don't see that you have died and now you're seated at the right hand, you can't do 5 through 9. Because as Matt was saying last week, you can't stop the flesh with the flesh. You need something different. You know, you, if you try to put 5 through the rest into action, you, you turn into legalism. You're like, God, I got this. I'm going to white knuckle it to the rest of my life. I'm, mm, I got it. So, in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And that's the sinful, the fleshly parts of us. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, or however you say that word, which is idultery. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So, show of hands, who's seen the movie The Matrix? Right, I got a good crowd today. Um, don't watch the other ones if you haven't seen them. Just watch the first one. That's all you really want. But we talk about gospel fluency here. And uh, gospel fluency is basically the, the way you can look at the world and what's going on around you, look at your life, look at other people's lives, and, and see the truth of the gospel in that situation. Uh, movies are a great place to exercise this. You, know, you, you watch a movie, you should come out talking about it. Like, what, is it, what did that movie really tell me? What's the theme of it? Should I really even let that come into my heart and my mind? But all great stories come from the one epic story, the, what we call the meta-narrative of God's redemption of his people, right? He's the hero. He's the savior. He's coming to fight for the beauty. The beauty is the church. The beauty is us. So Ecclesiastes 3 says that God's put eternity in the heart of man. So there's something we, we yearn for when we read those stories and listen to those stories. So it's, it's a good exercise. You should do it. But getting back to the movie The Matrix, it, I thought it was pretty prevalent for what we're talking about today because the movie, for anybody that hasn't seen it, I'll give you the, the Cliff Notes version. There's a world in which people live, and it's different than what they appear. So they're living in the 1990s America, and that's what they believe is true. What's actually true is they're 400 years in the future, and machines have taken over the world, and they're putting people in these little pods, and they're making them think that the world is different than what's actually physically around them. And they're uh, putting them like a virtual reality, and then while they're, the reason why they're doing that is because they're sucking literally the life out of them. They're killing them by being in that space. And it has a prophet in this uh, story. His name is Morpheus. He's the one going around telling everyone you're in prison. He's, he's trying to, to, set, to, to tell everyone the truth. And then you have a Christ-like figure named Neo. He's the one. He is the one that's supposed to come in and do the things that no one else can do and set everyone free. So it's pretty good. The one world is real, uh, and the one world keeps everyone numb and slowly kills them. But Paul is, is telling us this in Colossians 3. He's saying there's a battle, and the battle is for your mind, and there's a preaching battle. I don't know if you can have a preach-off, but that's exactly what's going on in the world is you have God's gospel and you have the world's tr philosophies or truth coming at you. And you have to pick which one that you're going to listen to. Romans 6, 7 tells us, anyone who has died uh, has been set free from sin. And this isn't a physical death. This is the, spir the spiritual death of the old sinful flesh. And we are no longer a slave into bondage. And one quote that uh, I thought was pretty interesting in The Matrix is, this is Morpheus talking to Neo. He says, you have been born into bondage to something you cannot smell, taste, touch, or prison for your mind. 
because we're in that prison and our sinful actions put us in bondage. Before, before Christ comes in and sets us free, we're in that bondage because the wages of sin is death. And the beauty of the gospel is it's telling us to put to death our sinful nature to become alive with Christ and by Christ so we can be like Christ. And going back to uh, Colossians 3.1, it's important that we see Christ at the right hand of the Father in a physical manner. This isn't an ethereal Savior. This, when, when Christ came and was crucified, he, he wore a physical flesh suit, right? It was, it was him. He was, he was fully God and fully man. And when he was resurrected, he was fully man as well. He ate with his apostles. They were able to touch him, right? Doubting Thomas, if anybody hasn't, doesn't know that one. But that's important because that shows the full payment of sin has been dealt with. That is no longer our place, that Christ paid that for us. And now we need to set our minds on the reality and truth of this world and all that it says will bring us satisfaction, will only kill, steal, and destroy us. Because that's what Satan wants to do. And Satan's primary tactic is he wants you to believe lies. Lies about God, lies about yourself, lies about what this life means. He'll use anything, positive or negative. It may seem good, but it'll end badly. Because he wants you to see anything but God. So let's do another exercise, because I'm, I'm like that. Don't think of the beach. Don't think of how awesome the beach is. Don't think of the beautiful palm trees, the waves crashing on the ocean. Don't think of sitting under a little umbrella with all the heat around you and drinking whatever you want and reading a, a book that you like. Don't think of how glorious that is or how much you enjoy that. That is, don't, don't do that. It's not how Satan comes at us. He doesn't tell you to stop thinking about God. Don't look at God's goodness. Don't do this. Instead, he goes... What's that shiny object over there? I thought, I bet you'd like it. Go pick it up. Try it out. Go taste and touch that. You know, go, just keep going in that direction. He wants us to believe, like Tim Bice was talking about three, four weeks ago, those plausible lies, those, those things that we think we can find satisfaction in outside of God. Or as Christian was talking about a couple weeks ago, the philosophies of the world that you're good enough, you're okay, Nobody can judge you, you know. Truth is truth. You know, whatever you, whatever you say is okay, you know. Love is love. Whatever the phrase is of the, of the, in the philosophies of the world, that's, that's constantly coming against you to kill us because we're either going to be killed through the pleasures of this world, sexual desires, endless pursuits that lead nowhere, insatiable desire. That's why Ryan's is still in business, right? And constantly wanting more and not having to think uh, the other things will fill us up more than God. Because Satan wants to keep us in that matrix. He wants us to keep thinking and believing lies about God, that this life will distract us and numb us to the true reality of Christ and his gospel and his plans. He wants to not only do that, but then once we do that, he wants to mock the church, God's people that he died for, in front of everyone else and God. Because Satan is a really good storyteller. He's been misleading people since the garden. He tells us either those plausible lies and we drift away, or he numbs us with this alluring story and not caring much about our dead state. We either end up not trusting God and his word and his works for our life, 
Or will you just simply watch Netflix into oblivion until we're dead? Either way, Satan wins, right? He's happy either way because we're not seeing our life hidden with Christ. We don't see our lives are inseparable from God. Colossians 3.1 talks about Christ's preeminence. It's a beautiful section. If you guys should go back and read it if you haven't been a part of it in our church. Uh, that Christ is in all, above all, holds all together, was made for him and by him. Now, there's so much more to this world. There's the visible and invisible, right? And uh, Elisha, uh, he had a servant, and they were surrounded, right, by this army, this invading army. And he wasn't very nervous, but his servant was very nervous. And then Elisha prayed that his servant would have his eyes revealed, and they began to see heaven's armies surrounding the other army. And he was like, okay, we got this. We're good, right? You see that revelation. But Christians, we need to live in that world and for that world, the one that Christ reveals to us. We need to live and sacrifice in a way that shows the world its economy, the way it wants to handle money, its friendships, the way we deal with each other, love, trust, care, enjoyment even, is not what we seek. We seek the life that is glorified when Christ comes. You know, Revelation 19 talks about Christ riding the white horse. He's got a tattoo on his thigh. He's got heaven's armies behind him. He's got a robe dipped in blood before battle. So go back and do your homework on why it's dipped in blood before the battle even starts. But he's coming with a sword of his mouth, the truth of his words, to set the world right. The world's it should be, the glorious world where it's made exactly the way it should be. Because he's going to come and judge sin and Satan to its final end. And that's the world we need to have set in our minds. So we need to focus on that glory and see the war that's coming and to be able to put to death what's, what it talks about in chapter 5. So it seems a little dramatic saying put to death, but Paul also uses other words in other texts talking about crucifying, which was a horrible way to die, right? But that's, that's what we live in. We live in a world at war. There is no middle ground. There is everything else and there is God and his holiness. He is different. That's what holiness means. It means different, set apart. So you're, you're going to choose one way or the other. Whether you think you're not making a choice, you're making a choice. Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the full armor of God. And in one of those pieces is the helmet of salvation. right? And that helmet of salvation is pretty interesting because that's what's protecting your mind. right? So if we don't believe we're in this reality then we're going to believe the lie. We have to protect ourselves with the salvation that God brings for us. And if we believe that everything on, on earth is for our enjoyment, well, as they say we'll have to get ours now, right? i got to get mine. We'll believe a lot of lies. We'll believe that the reality is that people were made for me, that my, my wife was made for me, my daughter was made for me, Everyone here was made for me. Perfect strangers were made for me. I can take advantage of them because, because they're here to satisfy my desires. Instead of seeing them as the Imago Dei, created in the image of Christ and having his, his glory on them. Because if, if I believe that they're for me, or I believe them for Christ, I'm going to deal with them differently, right? And I can't love people the way I'm supposed to if, if I believe they're here for me. And remember, Satan is that good liar, and he's going to tell you, that that's what you want. In the message translation in verse 5, it says, this is the list that it talks about. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, 
doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. So if you look at those two, I'm just going to point out a couple, sexual promiscuity and lust. Satan and the world want to tell you that you just, sex is good. You need to just go get sex, right? You need to go have the physical pleasure of sex. Well, God created sex, and it is good. And we should enjoy it as Christians. If you've never heard that before, just rest in that. You should enjoy sex as Christians in the right place and right way. The sanctity of marriage. Because what sex does is it's not just the physical pleasure of sex. It's what sex delivers to you. It del- the goal of sexual pleasure is to deliver intimacy. It's to, to know someone and be known by someone who doesn't just see you naked, but can see you emotionally and, and spiritually naked. Because that's what God does. God is an intimate God. In Revelation 19, he says that he has a name written on him. That, sorry. And no one knows but himself. That's how intimate he is. And, and when we get to heaven, he's going to give us a rock. Anybody know what's written on the rock? You can shout it out. You're not in church. Oh, wait a second. You are. But shout it out. <laughs> What's written on the rock is a name for you. It's a name you and God will share. That's the intimate God that we have. And that's what, if you believe the lies of the world, the reality that sex will just bring you satisfaction, that's a cheap, that's like candy. Bad candy. But if you believe that sex is the way that God wants to show his intimacy to his people, and that's the truth. That is what we need to believe. What Paul isn't saying in Colossians 3, 5, is he's not saying don't be mindful of the world. Don't, don't look at the world and, and be a good steward, a good neighbor. Don't, don't change your oil or don't take showers or you know, don't cut your hair or whatever. But be more concerned and have the same passion that God has for sin and, and the battle for life and death is at stake. So moving on to point three. This is my last point, by the way, if you're counting. We can only be new by being in relationship, community with God and his people. We can only be new by being in relationship, community with God and his people. Let's pick up in Colossians 3, verse 7. In these, you, he's talking about a community of people and himself, you, or Matt showed me, it would be y'all. So, for anybody that needs a translation, y'all too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Notice all these are against someone else, right? You can't do these alone. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed after its image of its creator. And then Paul Seems like he takes a transition here. It's like, why does he break into this? But we'll get there. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is, is all and in all. So I was a kid in the 80s, so you guys will have to bear with me. But anybody seen Kung Fu movies? The old ones? I got one. I got two. All right, I got a few. So, you know, the old dub versions. But if you watch the movies, they're... 
typically they start all the same way, right? There's this master, and he's walking along, he's humble, he's disciplined, he's just going about his, his daily business. And then he comes up to this guy that's getting abused. He's getting kicked up, beaten by other people. So what does the master do? He steps in, and he does all the cool tricks, and he saves the guy. And what does the guy do in return? He pledges his life to him because he just got saved by the master, right? So now he's going to walk with the master. And that's a little picture of discipleship, right? It's kind of there, but it's not the gospel discipleship because the gospel discipleship says that you can't be like me without me, right? God is saying, follow me, or as Tim Bice told us a couple weeks ago, walk in the dust of me, walk in the dust of the rabbis is what they used to say. So we need to walk in the dust of God. But the gospel isn't just for your sanctification. is isn't just one time where this thing happened to me. It's like the disciple. It's, it's for constant sanctification, right? Because God wants to change your reality dramatically one time and then continually change it to where you become more and more like him. Uh, and God says, I make you new. And if you follow me, set your mind on the things above where I am at, I will teach you to live like me. We can't do it alone. And God is calling us to show the world and each other what it looks like to follow him. Matt is leading us, uh, Restoration City Church, through, gospel, through Colossians to show us five specific traits of a healthy church. So the first one is we uh, are people devoted to the Bible. We believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God, that we believe that the Bible is, has authority in our lives. It, it has the right to tell us what to do and how to live our lives. That's what a healthy church does. Is what God says to do, we do. We're a people devoted to gospel fluency. We've kind of already talked about this, but, but we, we're a people that want to learn to speak the gospel, not only for salvation, but for continued sanctification. I need to be able to tell you where, where you are in life. You need to be able to tell me where I'm at in life, whether I'm a, a Christian or a non-Christian. That's what gospel fluency is, be able to take and see what's around the world, see what is like God and what is not like God, and what is the gospel and what is not the gospel. We're people devoted to prayer. We believe we have an intimate God that wants to hear from you, not a God that's bothered by you. We, we have a God that loves his children, is a good God, is a good father, and as such, he won't give you everything you ask, because that's not what a good dad does either, right? But he wants to hear from you, good and bad. We're people devoted to loving God and loving one another. Remember, that's the greatest commandment we talked about in pre-service prayer. So loving God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. We're people devoid, devoted to joyful obedience. Not easy obedience, not convenient obedience, but joyful obedience. Because we're, we can't do that unless we're thinking of the future. We're thinking of what will be, not what's now, because... Even as kids, obedience isn't pleasurable now, but it brings something about that we want. And we see these traits all through Colossians. And these traits, they mark and identify a community of Christians who don't just profess they believe in the gospel. They are truly saved and made nude by Jesus. It's not their claims that match the truth of the gospel, but it's the pattern of their lives that demonstrate their belief in that. They have change in action. Gospel fluency in stories is important. It's good to know and be able to take those movies and, and readings and stuff like that in and, and to be able to analyze them, but we need that more when we're talking with one, one another. 
or to put it differently, um, we need to not tell other people they're in a different reality than where they're at. Because if we step away from the church, we become distant from the church. We pull away from God's people. They're telling us who God is and how awesome and how glorious he is. What do we do? We jack ourselves right back in the matrix. We want to live in that false world that we think will bring us satisfaction. We want all those little candies that will eventually kill us. We're just like the Israelites. You know, God warned them a lot before they went into the promised land that they were going to forget. They're forgetful people. They're jars of clay. They're leaky vessels. They have to have stuff that pulls them and points them back to who God is. They have to have those festivals. They have to have those altars. Remember when they came up across the Jordan, they went down, they picked up those rocks, and they stacked them, right? And that was for future generations for them to be able to continue to point back to who God is and what he's done for this, gener- this generation of people, these, this, this people that were not a people, but now they are a people. We need that. Or else we'll return back to our normal way of thinking, our sinful way of thinking. We won't be knitted together, and we'll return to the lie. Because no one has lied to you or been more mean to you than Satan and yourself. You've told yourself more lies about you than anyone else. And you believe those lies. And the only way we can get them out is with the truth of the gospel. We need one another to fight for the gospel reality. This is the way God designed it. We can say things like, Jane has a temper, or Mark, don't let him around your kids because you never know what he's going to say. But that's making excuses for sin because God says he makes us new. Christians are to speak the truth in love and to go to our brothers and sisters and tell them things like, Jane, you're walking in your old, dead, sinful ways. You're, you're still in your past tense. You were not what God has made you to be. When you use your anger, which is not a primary emotion, by the way, uh, you use your words to destroy people God created instead of building them up and encouraging them to grow in Christ. We're called to be a people that can see the true reality of what's going on around us and communicate it. Now we'll get to that last verse, that 11, where he talks about the different people. Because Paul, one of his points in writing this, is he's fighting the heretical lies attacking the church. They are being taken captive by all these different divisions, these subgroups in the church, with the plausible lies and philosophies that were going at each other. But Christ doesn't intend to erase racial, cultural diversity, but to show there's a greater and a superseding identity and reality that we have as his people, as his children. You know, we're, we're supposed to see diversity and love it, right? God made a thousand different types of cattle. I couldn't tell you one from another, right? But there's a bunch of different cattle out there. God's made over 17,500 butterflies, right? And if all of them were the same, we wouldn't enjoy that. It's like walking into a, a hospital versus an art gallery, right? There's one thing that's naturally more pleasing to us than the other, right? We love diversity. We're a people that, that thrive on that. And there's dozens of human ethnic categories, there, but there's something stronger and better than race, politics, religion that binds us people together. If we get so caught up in whatever uh, political affiliation you are, doesn't matter what it is, more than God, 
That's what this church is facing, and that will always keep you separated from people. But if you can't see your brothers and sisters first and foremost as children of God, then that's the problem. That's what Paul is writing this letter for. We're to be a family, a, com- a communion connected together is to be strong in nothing, not political differences, racial, social, social differences, religious preferences should divide us. If we believe in and live in the reality of the gospel, we won't sin against one another with anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lies. God is saying there's something more important than what you see on the outward side of someone. It's back to that visible and invisible perspective. Colossians 1 says, again, Christ is before all, in all, and especially true in our identity. And Christ has the right to sign your identity. You don't have that right. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that you were bought with a price. Psalms 139 says, you were created my inmost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Christ is your sustainer, he's your creator, and he's your owner. So, in closing, and I'm not a real pastor, so I actually mean closing. <laughs> Got three things for you. Three things, three things, that one. Uh, focus on your most true identity. How do you defend your, yourself from Satan's lies about who you are and how you are to live? Remember, we get stuck just like the people of the Old Testament. They're there for a reason. All those people, as you read this, should give you encouragement because they're just like us, right? They have all the same human nature, and they needed constant reminding of God's word and God's work in their life. That's what you and I need. So we, we have to set and seek and put our minds on God and what he's done for us. Then you need to read your Bible slowly and intently. There you go. You need to notice what goes on in the Bible because it's all there for a reason. All the different types of writing in the Bible. You know, there's some sections like in Romans 11, right before Romans 12. Makes sense. But right before God tells us about, you know, renewing our mind, he gets overwhelmed when he's writing this and he's talking about how awesome God is. Just look at that in the Bible. The people of Israel do it when they cross over the Red Sea. They break out in song about how God is a warrior. That's, that's the people we need to be. We need to be people that are interested in, in what the writer is thinking and feeling and not just doing a checklist, right? Two of my uh, favorite words in the Bible, but God. Uh, not but God, but God. Um, those are wonderful words because I was living in a reality, but God came to save me, Right? And it's not just one time he came to save me. He continues to save me. He continues to put me into a different place than I think I am at. So find some of your wonderful words in the Bible. What, what rings true with you? Because, again, we're all diverse, and we're all drawn to different things. Some people love psalms. I, I get a little stuck in psalms sometimes. But rest and, and, and read it slowly. Because the Bible is not a checklist. It's not rules we should follow. It's... It's the gospel and the glory of who God is and what he's done for us. This is the most important stuff in the universe, and we can know it. We all can't know it because we're not God. But God is working in all of us, right? Uniquely and individually, 
And we need each other to tell each other what we're learning and listening and hearing from God. We don't just need Matt. We don't just need Christian. You don't just need me. You need the Holy Spirit. You need each other to tell you what God is saying. So read it in community and point it out to each other. And point number three, or closing point number, I don't know what you want to call it. But anyways, last, last thing I got. Christians and non-Christians need you to grow in your gospel fluency. God says you need the church. That's it. God says you need the church. You need people. You cannot live this life on your own. You have to get invested in a group of people that are his people. If you have a problem with that, take it up with God, not me. You need Others in the church need you. It's your responsibility to encourage, remind, embolden, heal, minister to others. Whatever God's given you is forgiving other people. It's not for you. It is for you, but it's not just for you, I should say. So, so give, give it away. Because God is, again, a, a God of inexhaustible riches. He's, he doesn't have just a little bit to give you. He's got all you'll ever need. And we need to see the revelation of God and truth in action. We need to see people being different. The evidence of transformations in one another's lives. Because that's the, that's the feast of the gospel. That's what, that's what we want to see. We want to see that gospel culture in action. That inspires us and encourages us and, and shows us what a mighty God there is. When you have those but God stories. You know, that's, that's our testimony. That's where we need to land in. And, and we need to tell other people that story. So I'll end with my main point again. The gospel brings you into true reality, sustained by Christ and his people. Let me pray. Lord, Dad, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for, for allowing me to preach today. Thank you that, again, you're a God that, that speaks truth and speaks life into people, that you don't leave us alone to, to figure out and wonder what you mean or what you mean to say, but you're a God that loves. You love deeply, you love intently, you love specifically, you love individually. And I pray that today you will continue to work in our hearts and minds and to show us what you have for us today. And we love you in your name. Amen. Thank you. Yes? Amen. Thank you.